Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from May 29th by Brother Todd Burgess, titled Matthew 4, verse 12 through 17. Well, you can kind of tell it's Memorial Day weekend, and a lot of folks are out camping, and hopefully they're having services out, uh, uh, and being witnesses where they're at. Um, have your Bibles, go ahead and let's open up to Matthew 4, we'll be in verses 12 through 17. And what we're looking at is still what we've been going through from chapter 3 and 4, and it's, it's all about how to, to, to live in the fullness of God. Chapter 3 is all about genuine salvation. It had, had to have that, that uh, recognize that judgment of God's sin in, on sin in your life. And then turn to Jesus, who is the justification of our sin, and through his work on the cross and his shed blood. And then in chapter 4, Jesus is, is, is teaching and showing by his example how to overcome sin in our lives as believers. And it's through God's word we can overcome the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and the lust of the eyes, which I believe are the categories of all sin. It can all, they all fall in, in, in those three things. And so what you see here, and, and I'll make some uh, more about this next, next, next Sunday, but really what Jesus is doing and how Matthew has organized his gospel, the whole thing from chapter 3 to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7, is all a big example of how to fulfill the Great Commission. It really is. And that's what you see. They get saved, and then... They're supposed to be taught and teached how to um, deal with the sin in their life and then to go out and make disciples. Next Sunday is about making disciples. And so Jesus here, he's carrying out the Great Commission in chapters 3, 4, and 5 and making disciples. And so what, what we see now in, in our text here is Jesus is simply going and doing the Father's work. He, he's left the mountain, uh, temptations are behind him, and now he's just going and doing God's work. And so I believe it's very important that we understand that. And let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessing upon the message here this morning. Lord God, we come before you, and Father, we thank you for all that you do. We thank you for who you are and what you have done for us. Lord, I thank you that your love is so deep, far deeper than what we can ever imagine. But Lord, you have paid the price through your son. And you have restored us. And so, Father, we pray that you would just guide us now as we look into your word and become more like you in all that we do and say in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, we need to remember that Matthew is writing to his fellow Jews who have become followers of Jesus. That's the whole purpose of Matthew's gospel. He is writing to that Jewish Christian community. Okay? And Matthew's gospel presents Jesus as the son of David, and his emphasis is Jesus is their king. He's their Messiah. He's their, he is, he is going to establish his kingdom. Now, we also have, have, have seen and looked about John the baptizer, uh, who was roughly about 35 years of age when, when he began to minister. And between verse 11 of chapter 4 and verse 12 of chapter 4, about a year, a year of time has gone past. Gone past. So Jesus has been ministering in Judea, in, in this area, 
for about a year, kind of, kind of a co-ministry with John. And he does so up until the time when John is arrested and put into prison. And so it's important that we understand this. Um, when we look at the Gospels of John and the Gospel of Luke, we see the details of that first year of Jesus' ministry. In fact, many of the events that took place are things that you're very familiar with. Uh, John's testimony about Jesus, we've talked about several times. Um, Jesus begins to identify with his first disciples. He hasn't called them yet, but he's identifying with them. He's kind of getting involved in their lives. Um, we see the water into turn changing the miracle of water into wine. We see the cleansing of a temple taking place. We see the teaching of Nicodemus comes by and, and wants to hear more in John chapter 3 about who Jesus is. Um, and, and then there's that co-ministry with John in Judea where they're both baptized on the Jordan River. And then in reference to what Christina mentioned in John 3, verse 30, John, the baptizer, makes this announcement to his disciples who are asking all kinds of questions like, John, what, what are you going to do? Jesus is baptizing far more than what you are. And, he, and John simply says in John 3, verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. See, John's ministry, his whole purpose was to introduce Jesus as the Messiah. That was his purpose, and he had done that. And he had testified about that. Now his purpose was to decline so that Jesus would increase. And shortly thereafter, we see that John is being arrested. And that's where our text picks up in Matthew 4, verse 12. And now when Jesus heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. So Jesus had been ministering for about a year. And now John was arrested. And so between verses 12 and 13... Uh, we see some of these other, other events taking place because Jesus now is going to Galilee from Judea. But he's not going to go around like he normally does. He's going to go through Samaria. And, and that's where we hear the story of the, of the Samaritan woman in Jacob's well. And he continues north in, into Galilee with the healing of the official's son. And then we have Jesus in Nazareth where he was rejected. He reads from the, from the prophet Isaiah and he says, In your hearing, this, this has been fulfilled. And they reject him. And so now Jesus is going to move on to Capernaum. And so I've, I've done all this. I've said all this. So you kind of keep, keep a context of what's going on. Matthew, the way he is writing his gospel, again, is to the Jews who have believed. And he's given proof. And, and, and really, he's showing them how to live that spirit-filled life. That's why he skipped so many things that the other gospels uh, point to, because it, I really believe, like I said, it's following that, that um, great commission that Jesus gave at the very end before his ascension about going and baptizing all nations, teaching them in, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that's important. And so John has kind of grouped these first five chapters, four chapters together just to portray what Jesus as our example is doing and how he's leading his life. And so what we see here is that Jesus is setting up his base of operation in Capernaum. Now, sometimes we have to ask ourselves, well, how do I know what God's will is? What, how do I know if, if, if I'm just not doing my good works, but I'm doing God's works that he has before ordained that I should walk in them, according to Ephesians 2.10? Um, well, Jesus, again, kind of gives us an example here. Because the reason Jesus is going to, to Capernaum is to fulfill prophecy. 
what something Isaiah had written 800 years prior. And so in Matthew 4, 13 to 16, Jesus, we see he leaves Nazareth and then he comes and he dwells in Capernaum, which is upon the sea coast and the borders of Zebulon and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled that was spoken of Isaiah the prophet saying, the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, and that's a very important phrase, the people which sat in darkness shall saw a great light, and to them that sat in the region of the shadow of death, light is sprung up. Now, one thing you're going to find out with Matthew, he is going to show in his gospel that he is writing here, ten times that Jesus fulfills prophecy. Okay, ten times he does that. Uh, just the first four here, um, he, that in Matthew one twenty two, he was born of a virgin. That, that fulfills Isaiah 7.14. Matthew 2.15, he would be called out of Egypt. That fulfills Isaiah 11.1. 1. Matthew 2.18, talking about how the, all the children that would be slain in Bethlehem. That's fulfillment of Jeremiah 31.15. Matthew 2.23, he would be called a Nazarene. Now, that's, that's an interesting one there because that fulfills Isaiah 11.1 1 and 2. But it's actually a play on the word of Nezer. A Nezarene is a play on that word that's referred to as a branch. A Nezer is a branch. Jesus is that branch that is extended to us back to the Father. And so it's the play on on, on that word. But our text here today, it is that fifth prophecy that Matthew is highlighting here in in its fulfillment of Isaiah 9 verse 2, which says, The people that, that walked in darkness have seen a great light, that they, they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. And Matthew's going to do this five more times throughout the Gospel of Matthew to show those ten prophecies, and there's far many more, but he's showing those ten specific ones about to prove to, 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 to Jewish believers and, to, and, and even to non-Jews that Jesus is their Messiah. Now, so let's take a look at this um, this prophecy here. Now, Zebulon and Naphtali is generally the area west and north of the Sea of Galilee. And, and, and that's where Jesus is going to minister. That's, that's his Galilean ministry he's going to be doing for a period of time here. And so this land is, it was given to, these, to the Jews by Moses as part of their inheritance. And the question we need to ask is, why Galilee? Why this area? Why not Jerusalem? I mean, after all, Jerusalem was the religious hub of Israel. Everything was there. All the leaders, every, every, everything to recognize who Jesus was was right there in Jerusalem. Why didn't Jesus go to Jerusalem? And I think there's a very, very important reason here that we need to grasp today because it should direct our ministries in our lives today. And so, when we, when we look at this, we have to go back to what Galilee, what this area is referred to. Um, we find a, a reference to this when, when Jesus goes and, and talks about to, to, to Nathaniel about being one of his disciples and, and just having him come follow. And what does Nathaniel say in John 1.46? He says, And Nathaniel said unto him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. 
See, Nazareth and that whole area of Galilee has become a byword to the nation of Israel. A byword that nothing good could ever come out of this area. Are there areas like that that we think of in our lives, in our communities? You're from where? Oh, uh, nothing good come out of that area. I mean, you got to think about that. You have, to, you have to really think hard about this. See, Nazareth and Galilee had become a byword that nothing good can ever come from. See, this is the, this is the same area that the Romans, when they came and, and, and have established their government leaders to rule over Israel, this area became the Galilee of the Gentiles. This is where the, their government was established in, in, in this area. Caesarea in, this, in this, this place. And so again, the Jews looked with disdain upon this entire area. But there's more to it than that. You see, that this, this prophecy that Isaiah wrote 800 years earlier was a message for the Galilean people in Jesus' day. See, the Holy Spirit of God revealed through Isaiah the prophet the differences, the things that were taking place. And again, verse 16 of our text in Matthew 4, it says, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region of the shadow of death, light is sprung up. Now that is a, that is a key verse. And it's describing this area of Galilee. 800 years before it happened. See, the people which sat, that phrase right there, refers to sinners and, and where they dwelt. And where they do it, where they dwell? They, they dwelt in darkness, which again is a reference to sin and misery. They are lost without hope. That's what the whole nation of Israel looked upon Galilee. They're, they're lost without hope. There's nothing you can do with that group of there. Just leave them alone. Only, only area they thought worse of was Samaria. You know, Samaria and then Galilee, well, you know, just, stay, just don't go north. Stay away, stay, away, stay away from those areas. That's the way they looked at it. Um, but it's more than that. It deals with their spiritual condition. See, Isaiah's writings revealed the spiritual and cultural divisions that existed in the land of Israel in Jesus' day. See, all of Israel was lost in their sin. Now, the, the Jews and down, in, down in Jerusalem and all the rabbis, all the religious area, well, they thought they were, they were it. No? Oh, we don't need Jesus. We, we, have, we, we have all we need. After all, we're, we're righteous. We're obeying the law of Moses. They had their own legalistic rituals and all those things taking place, like what Christina did here with the, with the example. You got to get rid of yourself to allow Christ to come in and fill what's there. And so those in Jerusalem in that area of Judea, they didn't see themselves as being lost. Many Jews in Jesus' day didn't see themselves as being lost because they're children of Abraham. That was a big view. Child of Abraham. Which is why John said, God can raise from these stones children of Abraham. After all, we're from what? We're all made from dust. <laughs> but they had, they had blinders to on. See, Galilee, according to the Jews, that was the worst, but theirs was truly a spiritual darkness. They were in the depths of darkness. 
And that's why Jesus went there. Because they are the people that needed his light. See, those who are in the most worst place, the cotton depravity of sin, these things that we think are horrific, they're the ones that are most receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're the ones. And it's those same people whom Jesus came to bring his great light, according to verse 16. In Acts 6, or 26, verse 18 and verse 23, it says to open their eyes. This is what, this is what Jesus said, came. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sin and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Then verse 23, that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And so that was Jesus' purpose, was to bring light, the light of true salvation, not of works, lest any man could boast. That's why he, everyone, all the Jews in Jesus' day, they're all boasting about being children of Abraham. They're, you know, they're saved. There's nothing they had to do. We were born that way, and nothing could be further from the truth. And in this same, this same prophecy, it talks about the region and shadow that refers to the thickest darkness, gloom, a, a hopelessness that was in this area. That's the spiritual condition. And when it talks about the region of shadow of death, here this, 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 this word of death here is a, it's personified. And it refers to the king of Hades. Okay, and, and all his work that is that is pretty much gone overboard in this area. All the demon possessions, all the things that were taking place, it shows the level of depravity that was there. It's the spiritual darkness that existed, which is why when Jesus was in Capernaum in this area, he began to do what? Cast out demons. He began to heal the sick with all sorts of illnesses, things that weren't taking place in a lot of other areas. It shows the level of depravity when Satan gets a, gr a grip in an area, that's what happens to that area. And this is what Isaiah was, had prophesied about 800 years prior that when Jesus comes, this is where he's going to go because that's where he was needed. That's where he would be accepted. His, his message would be, would be accepted. And that's where he went. You see, that's what's so important here. The satanic influences, the demon possession, all these things were taking place in, in Galilee. Isaiah prophesied about that's where the Messiah was going to go and that's where his light would, be, would shine among this people. Now we see kind of a glimpse, the same phrase of death, but talking about this, uh, the king of Hades. Well, there's a reference that this, this jumps to Revelation 6, verse 8. Now, it's not as bad as it's going to be in our future when Revelation 6, 8 takes place. But it shows how, how deprived this area was when it comes to uh, the spiritual darkness. And it says in Revelation 6, 8, And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat upon him was death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto, him over, unto them over a fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. 
And so that's a glimpse of what was going on in, in, in Galilee at the, in Jesus' day. That's what was going on. You go back and read through the Dark Ages, that, that period of history, 500 to, what was it, like eight, eight or 900, dark, spiritual darkness, because all that was going on in the world in that time frame. But it says here that light had sprung up. Now, light here refers to that true knowledge of God. It refers to true spiritual things. And when it says it sprung up, it's like it came forth. Nothing could stop it. Like the sun rising, nothing can stop the sun from rising other than God himself. Sun's going to come and it's going to show its light. Even in the darkest days, it's still sun's light comes through. And that's what it refers to here, that light has sprung up. It means to rise or to cause to rise up. It's here we see the power of the truth of the gospel message preached by Jesus to cast down every satanic force. But it's those that believe. Now, there's, there's a truth here that we need to grab hold of, folks. As the power of the word of God came through John the baptizer, he preached the same message that Jesus preaching. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus began to preach that same message. His disciples began to preach that same message. And God's power moved mightily through them. Now, I do believe there was a, there was a special calling of God's power to the apostolic age and that first generation of Christians. No doubt. But I think today in many pulpits... Many churches, we've lost the power of God in our lives because we've never truly learned how to overcome the ways of the world in our lives. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the, spirit, of, of the eyes, the, the pride of life, these things, they hinder what God can do in our lives, which is why it's so important. Matthew gave the example he did, chapter 3, and then chapter 4 about how to overcome sin, and now later in chapter 5, how to live that spirit-filled life. And Jesus is basically, he's doing, he's going and doing the Father's work. He's being that example to us. See, in our, in our text in verse 17, it says, from that time Jesus began to do what? Preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, folks, we've gone over this word repent many times uh, back in chapter 3, so I'm not going to cover as much of it right now, but, but I, am wanna, I do want to cover this word preach. Okay, this word preach. If you're a child of God, you're a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every single Christian is a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is your calling. And you have pe people in your influence that you can preach to and you can share to that I will never be able to talk to. Jeremy or the deacons will never be able to talk to. But you can. Because God has placed you in their lives and you have that relationship. And so we need to be preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever we're at. And we got to stop listening to what the world says. You know? We don't need to be rude about it. We don't need to break any rules and laws or anything like that about it. But we do need to be like Peter when, it, when, it, when the Sanhedrin gets, come and said, 
Stop preaching. He says, well, what are we going to do? Obey you or, man, or God? Folks, you, you obey God. And it can cause hardships in your lives, in my lives. It can do that. But we've lost that power of God's word in our lives because we don't have, we've, we've compromised too much with the world in our daily, daily lives. See, preaching is, is the proclamation of certainties. It's the proclamation of absolutes. It's not the proclamation of possibilities. No, God's word is certain. God's word is absolute. And we have to understand that in our lives. And we have to believe that in our lives. But the problem today is very simple. We've mixed the truth of God's word with our own truths and traditions and culture to the point that we no longer are able to speak the authority of the word of God to those around us. We have done what the Jews in Jesus' day have done by following man's rules and traditions over that of the word of God. Just an example, the Sabbath day, all right? When's the Sabbath day? What day? Saturday, okay, good. I know some folks think it's Sunday, but it's not. Sabbath day is always Saturday. It's the seventh day of the week. It was the first ordinance that God ever established in the creation of everything. Okay? First thing he ever established. Before husband and wife, before anything. Okay? Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Now, we have, by our Christian liberty, have chosen to worship on Sunday. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Those that choose to worship on Saturday, fine. Nothing wrong with that. Monday, Tuesday, it doesn't matter what day you choose to worship on. Make sure you pick a day that you're worshiping. But the truth is, because we have the liberty in Christ, we still need to make sure that we're remembering the Sabbath day, whether it's a Saturday or it's a Tuesday in our week. doesn't matter. Is there a day when you are taking rest and that rest one day a week is to honor God? to remember all that he has done, to praise, worship, do whatever is necessary. Remember that day. Whatever day it happens to be, we have the freedom to pick a day that we need to do. But we, what we need to be very careful about when, when I talk, talk, talk about Sabbath day, what have the Jews done? They, don't, they, they get to the point that they, they held God's word up such reverence, which is good. We don't have enough reverence over God's word to a point they had too much reverence to where they wrote all their little rules around God's word. And well, we can't work on the Sabbath. So that means, and I, I couldn't find the number, but if you take more than 210 steps, 211th up, you worked, you just violated the Sabbath. Those are the kind of rules they had around the Sabbath day. And Jesus would confront that to the point where you can't harvest anything. And so when the disciples took a were walking the path, they reached around, grabbed some wheat, pulled it off and did this. <sighs> blew the shaft away, and then they ate the, 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 the grain. They're harvesting. That's a violation of, God, of the Sabbath day. It's amazing. Whenever Jesus did anything, most of his miracles were on what day? Saturday, Sabbath. Okay? Because he was bringing, bringing the point that they had lost the heart of the text. They, they, they followed man's rules, not God's word, because they hardly ever read God's word. They'd get up there and read, read the word, and then they would talk about, their, about man-made rules. 
that you had to follow. They lost the power of the word of God to speak the authority of the word of God in people's lives. And folks, we have done the same thing. And we need to get back to the basics of Christian living to remember the things of God and begin to do them. You know, how many times I said, well, at work, I was in the military. You know, I appreciate the moment of silence. Remember, I, I, I know folks that are military friends that passed or lost their lives. You know? But we need to remember Too often we, we, we compromise with the ways of this world. Now, folks, there's nothing wrong with, in churches, nothing, nothing wrong with having rules and policies. They're needed. The Bible says you need to do things in an orderly manner. Nothing wrong with that. Constitutions, bylaws, nothing wrong with those things. What happens, though, is when you get together and try to decide things, the people are quoting the Constitution and bylaws and quoting policies more than they're quoting the Word of God. And then it gets to the point where those things even contradict the Word of God. That's where we have done the same thing the Jews in Jesus' day have done. We put more weight and authority on what man wrote instead of what God wrote. I'm a part of the, uh, the executive committee of Southern Baptist. You've, if you've heard about all the stuff that's going on there, this is my first year on, this, on that group. It's horrific. What those Christian leaders did, just simply not doing what God's word said. You know? You know, Randy, he was hard, but he followed God's word. And I know this church has gone through some, 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 some issues. And, but you've got, you got to deal with it. Like God's word says do it, not like lawyers say to do with it. Again, there's things that you can do. But when, you come, when you're more afraid of liabilities than holding up the word of God, that's wrong. And that's what was going on in Jesus' day. That's what's going on in churches today. And folks, we've lost the power to speak the authority of God's word in people's lives because they go, oh, you're no better than that group over there. We need to get back to the basis of God's word. See, Jesus is simply going and doing the Father's work. And the Father's work is where the spiritual darkness is the darkest. That's where it's at. Go and pray and ask, Lord, what area should I be in? Where should I be working? Show me where that darkness is. He'll show you. He'll show you where you have influence. See, we need to do what Jesus did. A few verses here and I'm going to close. John 5, 19 and 20, it says, Then Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, listen to this phrase, The Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. What did Jesus do? Only what he saw the Father doing. When Jesus would walk into a city, he'd walk in. First, he prayed all night long before he went to that city, okay, to make sure he was following, following the Father's will. But then he walked into a city doing whatever and just 
Here it is. Oh, wow. God, that must be you because there's no, no man in the right mound would climb a tree to see me. That must be God at work. So he said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house. Okay? I mean, we got to look for those things that only God can do. I'm going to tell you something. And I may have mentioned this before, but if you ever hear a conversation taking place around you or whatever, and they're talking about religious Christian things, that's your invitation from God to go join that conversation. It wasn't coincidence. That was God saying, hey, I'm over here. Come join. You may just have to say a word or two. Who knows where it's going to lead, but that's your invitation. People are not, Satan is not going to have people come up and ask a Christian who believes in the gospel of Jesus Christ about Jesus. It's not going to happen. Okay? So when you hear those things, that's your invitation to join God's work. John 3. And so here, here the question is, are you, are you a only do or do nothing person for God? Are you only going to be doing what God shows you? And then do nothing else if, it, if you don't see anything else. See, that's, that's the question. John 8, 38 says, I speak, Jesus says, I speak that which I have seen from the Father. Well, every word out of your mouth, is it stuff that You've heard some through your Bible studies, through your prayer life, that this is the way you need to speak into this situation, or you don't speak at all. The Bible says we're going to be held accountable for every idle word that comes out of our mouth. Idle word doesn't mean swearing, it is, but it's more than that. Idle words usually is, is words spoken that you didn't think too much about, and they usually cause damage to somebody else. Those are idle words. So are you an only speak or speak nothing person for God? John 12, 49. For I have not spoken of myself. Wow. But the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And so are we a commandment of God person or a commandment of the world person? Are we going to share the truths of God's word in people to people? Are we going to share what man's rule, man, man has said? Their philosophies. After all, they're not going to beat me up if I do that. You know? Don't worry that, well, I may not be able to answer their question. You know, people ask me questions about in the Bible, and I said, I have no idea, folks. But I'll go look it up. I'll get back with you. Don't be afraid. That's Satan trying to condemn us. And get us to not do what God wants us to do. See, Jesus only did what he heard the Father doing. He only spoke what he heard from the Father. And he only proclaimed the commandments of God's word. We need to be the same type of people. But that means we have to have a life that is right with God. It means if we've done wrong and we've sinned, we need to confess that sin. If it's just involved us, good, it's between you and God. If it involves somebody else and you've offended them... You've got to go to that person and get it right. Otherwise, what's happening is the pride of sin and the pride of life is keeping you from doing that. Well, they were more at fault than I was. So what? You were still at fault. Whether it's 1% one, 1 was your fault, 99% was theirs, you've got to deal with your 1%. That way, when you, when you do go share, share the gospel and start talking to someone, well, what about this person? I heard what you said over there. You're right. I, I did do that. And, I, and God so convicted me about it, I went and, talk, and I worked that out with that person. But we're not talking about with that situation. I'm going to talk to you about Jesus right now. 
See, it takes all the fire out of, the, out of all their punches. Okay? When we are living like we're supposed to live. See, the kingdom of heaven, and I said, this, this is that phrase. It began to pre- preach repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven today is in your heart and my heart if you're a child of God. It's here. And this is what God wants to rule from. He needs to rule from this area. It's manifest in our hearts of those that have repented of their sin and have turned to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. One day, the kingdom of heaven is going to be on this earth during the thousand-year reign of Christ. And we'll be in our new spiritual bodies. Never, sin won't be bothering us no more. But until that day comes, we should only be doing and speaking those things that the Father has, is, is sharing with us to do and to speak. Nothing else. And we need to be looking for that area of the greatest darkness. Wherever that spiritual darkness rears its, its head, we should be ready to speak God's truth into that situation. And I guarantee, I promise you, there is spiritual darkness around every child of God. If not, my question would be, are you a child of God? Because Satan's not going to let a child of God operate in the spirit of God to run free. <laughs> not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So let's live like Jesus. Let's go where the most darkness is in our life to those around us and let's speak God's truth there. Let's speak God's truth there and see what God does. You lift up the holy name of God and His power can begin to be seen in and through your lives. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.